0: Uh, in the future with what we experience now but it's far transformed beyond it. Now if you want to get into all of that and I hope you, you do if, if you missed it then do download it, download it off the web or pick up a CD of the previous uh, three messages or two messages, two or three, whatever in all of 1 Corinthians 15 because it really hangs together uh, as, as a, a kind of piece of argument and teaching. Now then, in verses 50, which is where we are now, to verse 58, it all comes to a conclusion. And Paul is going to be talking here about a new kind of life that we're looking forward to. He's kind of building on what we saw last week. He's talking about a new last word. And he's talking about a new way to live now as a result of knowing what God will do in the future. So let's get into it straight away. And let's look, firstly, uh, at a new kind of life to look forward to. Let's read verses 50 to 53. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. A new kind of life is coming, says Paul. And he's carrying on, really, from what we were thinking about last week in the previous verses, uh, to talk more about what it means to live in the future in this new kind of way. He says, in the future, you're going to need a different kind of life. You know, remember last time we thought about how Paul talked about the diversity of life and there were kind of fishes and animals and people and so on. uh, And he talked about how how God has made life very diverse. And, uh, And what he's saying now is the bodies we now have Are just not going to cut it in the kingdom of God. (laughs) They're just not going to make it. We will be literally like fish out of water if we were just there in the body that we have now. It's not designed for that kind of life. Why not? Verse 50 tells us why not. Because it's perishable. The perishable does not inherit the imperishable. Paul is saying, our regular flesh and blood bodies, as they are, are just not going to cut it. There, they, you know, they, they won't make it. They won't survive because they are imperishable. That's the pro- that's the Well, podi- that's the problem. And we know that, don't we? As our bodies are, as they are, they tend to wear out. You know, you don't have to be that old <laughs> to, to realize that. Um, entropy, you know what entropy is that law in physics that says everything in the universe is kind of dying down Uh, that is how our universe kind of is at the moment Uh, gravity happens to our bodies, won't go into too much detail there, but you know, as we get older, gravity takes over, I don't need to say any more we start wearing out And, you know, the the word Paul uses, as the NIV translates, imperishable, is is the same word incorruptible. Corruptible, that was an idea that the Greeks had in their thinking, uh, because that was their problem. The Greeks couldn't accept any kind of resurrection from the dead. Because they had this idea that if there was a resurrection, then you know, in their head was the idea that, well, what's the point of having a dead body come back again? You know, it would be a bit, as I said last week, like the kind of zombies, you know, Shaun of the Dead and the Living Dead and all that kind of stuff. And, and they had that image of, well, what's the good of, you know, dead people coming back to life again? That's hopeless. And for that reason, the Greeks saw the afterlife. Their hope was of the soul being set free, to kind of flutter away and, you know, live in a kind of, kind of, you know, fluttery kind of way out of any kind of bodily existence. Now, because they couldn't just couldn't get it, Paul says, no, actually there's another way. And there's another way that's, that, that's already been, a trail that's already been blazed in the resurrection of Jesus. And this other way is being raised from the dead with a new kind of life. A body that is alive with spiritual life, as we saw last week. Like Jesus' body after the resurrection. Jesus, as we saw two weeks ago, is the first fruit. He's the prototype, as it were, of this new kind of life with God in the future. Say, we talked about that much more last week. You could listen again or, or read it through. Well, how is all that going to happen then? When's that going to happen, Paul? How does it work? Well, we don't know fully, but verse 51, he says, he says listen. He's going kind to of say, come on, I want to tell you something. Actually, it would be better to say, do you want to know a secret? Because when in the New Testament we hear the word mystery, it doesn't mean I'm going to show you something mysterious that you can't fathom. It's, the idea is it's a mystery, something that's previously been hidden, but now it's been revealed and passed on. So it's Paul like saying to them, do you want to know something? Let me tell you a secret. And what is the secret? What is it? It's been revealed by God. Well, here it is. We, says Paul, Jesus' people, those connected to him in this great salvation movement, as I said, we will be transformed. Those who've died, those who are asleep, verse 51, that's how Paul refers to death in this chapter. We're not all going to be asleep, but we will all be changed. Those alive at that particular moment will be transformed changed. What does he tell us about this? Well it's there in verse 51. You're familiar with these verses probably if you've ever been to a funeral because they're often read. But let's have a look at them. It's sudden. He says it's in a flash. It's, uh, that word is like the word atom in Greek. It's the smallest possible in his thinking unit of time. A flash. Suddenly it's sudden. It's going to happen. Woof! Like that. Even quicker than that. Much more powerful and, and, and strong than that, obviously. <laughs> it's sudden. But more than that, he said, it's purposeful. That's that reference to the trumpet. He says the trumpet is going to be sounded. He says that twice. Now, again, the thing you need to think a bit about of Old Testament history. When is the trumpet sounded in the Old Testament? Well, when God does something. Yeah, they blow the trumpets, the walls of Jericho last time gave a shout. Actually other in uh, one Thessalonians it talks about a shout at the end of time as well. And God did something, the walls fell down. You yeah, remember Gideon's story of Gideon, had a trumpet, smashed the jar of blow the trumpet? God was gonna do something. All through the Old Testament, there is this, this looking forward to the end of time. How is the end when God finishes it all and wraps it all up, when, when the great movement of salvation is ended, what is the sign of that three or four or five times in the Old Testament? It's the trumpet that sounded. It signals the end. The trumpet, it says that this is happening with a purpose, that God is intervening, big time. I was going to say, for the last time, in one sense. The last time, as we know it, God will do something. Intervene. And at that point, verse 53 says, the dead are going to be raised. And believers who are still alive at that point are going to be changed, transformed. So it's purposeful. But also, he says, look, there is continuities. We saw last week, verse 53. The imperishable must put on Sorry, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, verse 53, and the mortal with immortality. First of all, there's this image of being clothed. You know, Paul is saying, look, look you know, our new bodies are kind of going to be a bit like putting on a new set of clothes. The essential person that is us will, will kind of be connected, we'll be the same people in that sense. But new set of clothes, well, new body, new life, new everything. But it's very interesting. And the NRV isn't a particularly good translation here, but four times in this this, this verse, 53 and 54, and if you've got maybe an older version, you'll see this. It says, For this perishable must close itself with with the imperishable, rather, and this mortal with immortality, when this perishable has been clothed, and this mortal... Paul is saying it's this one... (laughs) The one you're in now is going to be transformed. There's a continuity. There's a new kind of life to come. Don't forget it, says Paul. Look forward to it. It's about time we had a C.S. Lewis quote. You know it well, many of you. The last battle, remember what... It's a conversation Lucy has with Aslan. Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. (laughs) And you've sent us back to our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. You are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. That's how Lewis is trying to explain. Well, before we move on, let's just ask this question. So who is this new life for? Paul's made that very clear through 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the man from heaven, he's talking about Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. It's people who have come to know something of heaven's life in them. It's not everybody. Those who are connected to the man from heaven, Jesus. Look up the passage a little bit further. Look at verse 23. Each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits then when he comes. Who? Those who belong to him. And then further up in the in the passage, I think it's verse eighteen. Those fallen asleep in Christ. If the resurrection isn't true, Paul's saying those fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those people who are in Christ, those people who are of heaven, those people who belong to Jesus, the one who's coming. That's what's coming for us. Don't miss it. We need to turn to him if we've not done so. And if you've done that, well, don't let your head be down all the time. As we, as we thought last week, we struggle with limitations. We struggle with pain. We struggle with loss. Paul says, don't just be bowed down by that. Remember, there's a new kind of life coming. Look forward to it, says Paul. Be sure of it. Let's read on, because he goes on to talk about, secondly, a new, a new last word. Look at verse 54 to 57. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law... But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A new last word. Paul quotes actually from uh, two parts of the Old Testament. One is Isaiah and one is Hosea. Let me read you the Isaiah passage. It's in Isaiah 25. This is uh, God's promise of the future one day. Uh, for his people. It's on page 708. If you want to follow it, keep a a finger in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. That's a nice picture, isn't it? On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples the sheet that covers all nations he will swallow up death forever the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth the Lord has spoken and in that day the people who know that are responding to God they say surely this is our God we trusted in him And he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. His promise of a future time. When the Lord will destroy death. When salvation is complete. For those who trusted him, says Isaiah. That's the big plan. This is the big movement that Paul is saying. In Jesus, this is coming because of Jesus. Because of his death, his life, his resurrection. He is the one, God's Messiah. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, how has death been defeated? It goes back there to say, um, uh, death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 56, how is it defeated? The sting of death is, is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Paul says the sting of death has been removed. He explains what he means by that. He's talking about sin, our rebellion against God. That's why death came. Just a few pages back in in Romans, Paul says these words in Romans chapter 5. It's on page 1132, verse 12. Therefore, says Paul, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, and then he he's talking about how sin came into the world through Adam's rebellion, uh, and he's going on to say how life comes into the world through Jesus. But the point there is that sin has come into the world, says Paul. It's come in. Where did it come from? Adam's rebellion. What happens? Death came. All sinned. And how do you know what sin is? Back in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that the power of sin is the law, the commandments. The Ten Commandments let you know what's wrong. <laughs> they tell you what the penalty for doing wrong is. In fact, in Romans 7, Paul kind of says, actually, until I knew what the commandments were, I, I, you know, in one sense, they, they made it worse for me because I realized you know where I was failing. In fact, more than that, in Romans 7, he says... I kind of wanted to fail more. I wanted to break more of them the more I knew about them. Because he said there's something in us that is rebelling against God. And Paul here is saying the power of sin is the law. Is it "Well, the law has kind of got us banged up in prison? You know, we, we've broken God's law. We face his, his penalty. But verse 57 says God gives us a victory over sin through Jesus. So we face a penalty We're like uh, prisoners in custody. We're like people who are sick with a deadly virus. We're over. We're finished. We're in a terrible state. We're rebelled against God. We're under his judgment. We've got no hope for the future. And then what happens? Well, God comes and rescues us. God does something. God gives us victory, says Paul here, through Jesus Christ. And into the world comes Jesus, who keeps the law, who does everything right, who obeys God in every way. There's nothing on him. The law has got nothing on him. He obeys it completely. Jesus comes into the world, he experiences the results of sin and death. The evil that is produced from our rebellion literally overwhelms Jesus on the cross. But he bursts through, the, through death. He draws the poison out. He pays our penalty. He defeats the powers of evil. And then Jesus, as it were, comes to us. He flings open the prison door. And asks us, do you want to come out now and follow me? Because the victory is there in him. And we can do that. No wonder in verse 57 Paul says, thanks be to God who's given us the victory. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? We could say hallelujah if we wanted to. (laughs) Uh, One day we'll we'll get get there, folks. We'll get there. But, you know, sad, isn't it, that some of us, maybe here, some of us people we know, actually still prefer to stay inside the prison. The door's open. Jesus is saying, come on out, follow me. We think, well, I don't know what it's like out there. I think I'd rather stay in my prison, thanks. Don't be like that if that's you. That's why there's going to be a new kind of life. There's a resurrection future. There's a new last word. What is the new last word? It's not death. Verse 57. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 54, 57. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the last word now? Our Lord Jesus Christ. We live with that new last word right now. Even though we face death. And when, when I do quite a few funerals, that's uh, part of my job. You know, as, as we, when we see a believer, going, uh, their body going through the curtain at the crematorium or into the ground, we know that their, their death is not the last word. Jesus is the last word. Because of what he's done. But you know, Paul wants finally more for us than just to be kind of misty-eyed about the future beyond death you see 1 Corinthians 15 is true if life in our bodies now is connected to life in the resurrection body in a new heaven and a new earth born out of this one if that is true then what we do in the present time with our present bodies and our present world really matters that's really important If there is this link with who we are now and what we will be then, we cannot say that life is unimportant now, can we? Because God's kind of growing our characters. He's he's doing stuff in our lives. He's given us responsibilities. He's given us this world to live in and to rule on his behalf. And even this world has a future in the new creation. Now, how that's going to be connected, I don't know. Some writer I read, it's almost like a tapestry that God will somehow weave, but we don't know that. But we do know it matters. We're not supposed to live in our, our lives now as if we're in some kind of waiting room, you know, kind of thinking, well, I might as well read a magazine, there's nothing else to do. You know, there are they're even old magazines, for goodness sake. You know, That's not it, is it? We should be as passionate and as committed to, to life that God's given us to live here and now if there's this connection, more than ever, Because there's significance in the way we live. And that's our third point. Oh, it's come up. Thanks, (laughs) Howard. A new way to live now. Verse 58. What is it? Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. A new way to live now. What do we learn about this new way well, look at that first little phrase. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, that's the most affectionate form of the address that we read in the New Testament. We often read in the New Testament about brothers and sisters. Uh, it's usually brothers, but it means sisters as well. Paul, but, but there are two other occasions where Paul uses a, a kind of super affectionate that's why The English has translated it. My dear brothers and sisters. It's more, he said, I love you guys. You're, you're my family. And, you know, it's just... You know he's trying to get it across to them. He said it once in one Corinthians. We, we commented it on uh, earlier in the series. He says it that way in Philippians as well, if you're interested in one one occasion. He's stressing the family believers, and, and you know this is something that we really need one another for. As we live now, yesterday at the leaders' breakfast, we were talking about how do we grow ourselves as Christians? How do, how, do, how do I grow as a Christian? What makes me grow? How can we encourage each other to grow? How can we be at a church that is full of people that are growing towards Jesus, growing more like him? And one of the things that came up from our discussions, a number of people said, I need other people for that. Paul is saying we need one another. We need that community. But we just, uh, there's more to it than that. He says, now together with one another, he says, look, you need to stand firm. He says, let nothing move you. Be steadfast, be immovable, other versions say. To the Corinthians, he's saying, don't be flaky anymore, he says. You know, don't let people push you away from the gospel. Don't get other stuff in your lives that ends up driving you from Jesus and all that he has done. What really matters that whole book is about that, and he's summing it up. So he's saying, you've got one another, live together, encourage one another, stand firm together, don't be moved. Then he says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Abounding, the old version says. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, steadfastly giving yourself. What is the work of the Lord? Is that just what I do as I preach here? No, it's not, that, is it? It can't be. Well, I think is whatever God gives you to do, whatever the Lord gives you to do, do it for him. Because it's in the Lord. And Paul says, if, if, if it's in the Lord, and we'll look at that in a, in a moment, then it's not in vain. So how can we make sure that whatever God gives us to do, or whatever rather we do, is in the Lord? What does Paul mean by that? Well, maybe we need to make sure we bring our day to him. We bring our time to him. That we don't just live a day or do a job or whatever, but we want to acknowledge the Lord's kind of leadership over that. How we study, how we look after patients, how we care for kids, how we do whatever we do in the Lord. Lord, I want you to be part of it. You could just say that before you do that operation or or that class or whatever it is you're going to do. Make sure it's done in him. As part of our devotion to him. Let's take on board his priorities. Let's go for his kingdom. Paul certainly uses this phrase to refer to the work of the gospel. uh, As well as uh, the whole of life. God wants us to get involved in his kingdom priorities. As well as we share his truth and his love with others. And we're, we're like Jesus in our relationships with others. As we pray, as we obey him. What he gives us to do, let's do it with everything we've got. Let's be wholehearted. That's what Paul is saying. Paul says it's not always easy. There's an interesting word in here. Um, Where is it? Verse 58. Right at the end. Your labor. That's a really strong word in the uh, original. It means hard work. And sometimes, whatever we do, uh, it's hard work in the Lord doesn't make it not hard work anymore. And Paul is saying, look, that hard work, it won't be in vain as we commit it to him, as we do it for him. It's a promise, he says. Actually, you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And uh, I have to admit myself, sometimes uh, I just have to trust him for that because I don't feel that I know that. But I say he's promised that if it's in the Lord, it's not in vain. We may not see the results of it, you might think, what's the point of what I do here or what you do there or whatever. Sometimes we just have to trust him. If we're committing it to him and we're asking him to work, then it won't be in vain. So then, let's finish. What have we been to? Where have we been? A new kind of life. Coming one day, look forward to it. A new last word, not death, but Jesus. A new way to live for him now, in the Lord, knowing that it's not in vain stuck in, wholehearted, for his glory. Amen.